Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto, me dio dos lucetros, que cuando los abro, perfecto destino. Bienvenidos a Radio Menea. I'm Miriam Soila Perez. And I'm Vero Valletti Flores. And we are two Latinx friends. With wildly different music tastes. And each week we bring you music from the Latinx artists that we love. And this week we've got a special, kind of like a history episode in some ways, about La Nueva Canción movement. Yeah, we wanted to bring you an episode that was looking a little bit more, you know, you all liked the cumbia episode so much. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to do like another episode that was like instructive about a phenomenon in Latinx music. And we wanted to talk about um, La Nueva Canción, which... It was a musical movement from the 1960s. Um, it was popular folk music with um, leftist political bands. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it was also known as Trova en Canto. And we just wanted to talk about who some of um, those artists were that pioneered that and their legacy and, um, and just like how it connected with political movements and social movements around the continent. Yeah, and this, yeah, Veto, this was your idea, and I think one of the, the reasons it's like, kind of connected to the Kumbi episode is because it's another phenomenon that like crossed national borders, right? So like lots of different countries kind of adopted it or or were inspired by it and like kind of brought their own particular version of, but you can sort of see it as a broader, well, like more of a movement than a genre. I mean, I guess it's sort of both, right? Like a movement and a genre. Yeah, yeah, across a bit lots of, both, of different I guess. countries. Yeah. yeah. But so we're starting with um, an artist that you picked who's kind of like the mother of this genre, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is Violeta Parra, and um, the name of this song is Gracias a la Vida, which is probably one of her most popular songs. Con ellos anduve, ciudades y charcos, playas y desierto, montañas y llano, y la casa tuya, tu calle y tu patio. Gracias a la vida. Que me ha dado tanto, me dio corazón, que agita su marco, cuando miro el fruto. But she, uh, she really pioneered La Nueva Canción. She was, um, she's known as the mother of Latin American folk music, and um, she just led like a really significant and um, amazing life. Um, I personally first learned about her from um, this biographic movie of hers um, called Violeta Se Fue a Los Cielos, um, which is like devastating and beautiful. And I just highly recommend if you all can watch it. Um, it's uh, basically just like a movie about her life and like the way that she lived it, which I think came out in 2012, oh, I want to wow. say. Okay. Yeah. I haven't heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. It came out in 2012. It was from Chile. I think that it was their um, their contribution to like um, the 
their like their Oscar nomination for like mm. best film in a foreign language from oh, wow. Chile. Okay. Um, but um, but yeah. So I, I just I would ra- really highly recommend it. Um, this song is from Las Últimas Composiciones. It was the last album of hers that that came out before she committed suicide. She committed suicide in 1967. Wow. Which, so she was in Chile, and given yeah. how like political this movement, this musical movement was, I think that you know it was really before the time, which was like the peak of like the political power of the left in Chile, right? Like Salvador Allende was elected as president, who was a uh, the leader of a socialist movement and a candidate for president who was elected democratically in 1970 in Chile. And sh- so she died three years, three years before that. Wow. I'll, obviously, I think if you all are, if any of you are students in history, you'll know that that was really short lived and that um, there was a U.S. backed coup three years later that established right. um, brutal dictator Augusto Pinochet. What just do we know, like what prompted her suicide? No, I really couldn't find very much about it. You know, I think that she, um, you know, in the film, she's the last years of her life. She is, um, she's trying to establish like an artist colony and she's just had like a long, rough, like intense life. And it was just like struggling with struggles with depression, you know? Right. So it's just, just like, like mental you, health stuff. Yeah. yeah. Just mental health stuff. Right. Cause it's like not know, you know, it's like knowing what was to come, right? Like it's like, it's, it seems so, yeah, it seems so premature in terms of even just the influence that this type of music had, right? Like she was so early on in that. Yeah. And then didn't even live to really even see. Yeah. Like the, that this, you know, what we learned from the research, right. That this particular music was, was, um, in, you know, instrumental, you know, pun intended, right, in helping Allende get elected. Like, there was a lot of political power to it and the fact that she wasn't yeah. able to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mental health, right? Suicide, these are just real real things that people struggle yeah, with. Totally, yeah, totally, totally. So, I mean, Parra started out singing, like, just, like, Mexican and Spanish songs, but later in life, um, you know, in the in the 50s, um, she started sort of looking into um, Chilean folk forms from all over the country. And then um, once she like started looking into that and researching it more heavily, she started composing songs in that style, just mm-hmm. trying to bring attention to, um, you know, just like local folk styles native to where she was from. And it was really a turning point for her and like her involvement and the development of this like new political song making and artistic tradition, which... Um, which um, I think that Chile isn't exactly the birthplace of it, right? Like Chile has a huge, um, a huge place in it, but also like there were people in Argentina mm-hmm. and, and in other places who, uh, who really um, saw the birth of this that like really spread throughout Latin mm-hmm. America and Spain, right? We're going to bring artists from um, all over Latin America yeah. in this episode because right. it's really sort of... Um, moved right with um with like the uh musical and artistic and political movements of the time yeah um and so that that evolution in her music would take her around the world she wrote music for films um you know she even expanded her artistic practice right beyond music to doing things like ceramics and textiles and like in her you know research of folk traditions across latin america she started 
um, incorporating, you know, other Latin American folk traditions in her music. Like towards the end of her life, she was using the Venezuelan cuatro a lot, mm. which is like a four string, like mm -hmm. small guitar, like yeah. instrument. It sort of looks like a ukulele, but it's tuned differently. Um, and, um, you know, the last years of her life, she spent trying to create this like isolated rural, but like vibrant location for artists to come together and create. And she was living in this tent. And I remember that about the film. It was just like this mm. huge tent where she like brought together artists, but like was also like really isolated and alone. Right. And I think, um, it was like a vision that she had, but it might, you know, like it, I think was like difficult on her. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Gosh, that's so real. Do you know how old she was when she passed? Yeah, she was in her 30s. Damn. God, She's so She's in her young. 30s. Yeah, so young. super young. And like such a <sighs> like such a significant life at such a young age. Right. You know? Such an impact, yeah. I mean, it definitely puts this song that you picked like in a different kind of light when you when you know that she committed suicide just a few years later. Mm -hmm. Right? Gracias a la vida. Like adds like a yeah. sadness to what sounds like sort of a happy song at the beginning. Yeah, totally. Damn. Totally. I mean, I think that, yeah, it's just like that thing with like mental health where like people, you know, like you could have like a song where like you know that it's leading you like you, a life that you know is leading you like amazing places and you're really grateful for it and you still fucking struggle, right? Because yeah. like that's the way that depression works, right? It's not, you know, it's a really difficult to control. Right. It doesn't matter what's necessarily you're succeeding. Yeah. So I saw this roundup that I can actually put in the show notes in case anyone else wants to read it. Um, that I found on like Facebook in December that was like 99, the 99 best things that happened in 2018. And like, I think I've talked about mm. on the show that I've been like trying to cultivate optimism. And I think like reading about like the good things that are happening is a huge part yeah. of that because our news is so yeah. fueled by like what's wrong. Anyway, one of the statistics in that article is that um, global suicide rates are down 40%. Oh, that's amazing. I know. So just like thinking about that more broadly, and I think that probably the credit of that goes to just like more awareness and like breaking stigma around mental health and people like feeling, having more access to and um, feeling more available, like more open to getting mental health support and obviously medications and things like that too. So a little like positive note to the... Yeah. The yeah, that's that, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So damn, well, she had an incredible legacy incredible legacy she really did she really did i think that um even like some people who are considered pioneers and, and you know big fucking people within like nueva canción latinoamericana are you know like talk about like looking to violeta parra as like a real like mother of this movement and you know like in mm -hmm. her short life like really like did a lot and this song's been covered by a lot of artists this song in particular gracias a la vida mm -hmm. um you know including american artists right, right. like like joan baez and stuff mm. um so her influence really can't be overstated um i think that she even like she even influenced some of like the like the folk um like the folk singers of like the u.s um you know, like that we're associated with yeah. like, you know, the new left here, you know? Right. For so, sure. um, yeah. I think that, that she's, um, uh, she's really, um, underrated globally, but, um, uh, but I think I'm really excited that we're having an opportunity to, to shout her out and bring, bring attention to her yeah. and her work. I think that, I'm not sure that we've brought her before to the podcast, but I, don't I think feel so. like we we talked about her or maybe maybe like other people, like maybe people who have um listeners who have written in have like 
written about Violeta Parra. I just like remember some kind of Violeta Parra discussion, like in relation to Raya Mene at some point, but I don't think we've brought her. But so, um, you know, if if it was a listener who um, who asked us to bring her on, shout out you. Um, here she is. Everybody mm. should should know who she is. She's really important to um, to Latin American uh, music traditions for sure. Yeah, one of the things that I, I learned about researching Nueva Canción was that part of what also fueled it in terms of the sort of historical moment is that in the 60s, a lot of, there was a big um, migration of people in Latin America from rural areas to cities, right? So part of like urbanization and people, you know, had to do with economic shifts and people looking for work and all the things that transform um, rural areas. And so that was also part of what brought a lot of the indigenous instruments that are really centered in much of this music mm-hmm. into yeah. these kinds of like more hybrid, right? Like bringing some of the Spanish elements together with indigenous in- instruments was fueled by that movement of people. And some of the people that were going to bring themselves were kind of migrants in some ways from rural communities to the cities. Um, right. Themselves. Or have like indigenous parents. And or, indigenous you know, roots. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, that was a part of it. Just thinking about like the, yeah, what was happening economically even at the time. Um, totally. And yeah, totally, it's connected yeah. to the social movements, obviously, as well. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So my first pick is another person who's kind of seen as like one of the sort of fathers or, you know, um, one of the founders of this of the Nueva Cancion mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. And he's from Argentina. His stage name is Atahualpa Yupanqui. And this song is called Luna Tucumana. canto a la luna porque alumbra y nada más le canto porque ya sabe de mi largo caminar le canto porque ya sabe de mi largo caminar ay lunita tucumana tamborcito Calchaquí, compañera de los gauchos en las sendas de Tafí, compañera de los gauchos en las sendas de Tafí, perdido en las razones, quién sabe vidita por dónde andaré, mas cuando salga la luz. So yeah, I think he was like a contemporary of um, Violeta Parra, like a similar, well actually I think he was, no I actually think he was older, sorry, he was actually older than Violeta Parra because he was involved, um, he's from Argentina, he himself migrated from like a more rural area to like Buenos Aires, Um, his father um, is a mestizo and his mother was from Spain. So a lot mm-hmm. of his work um, involved like really researching indigenous traditions around Argentina. Um, and he's, yeah, he's a kind of like a, a father of folk music, but I think it's hard to separate folk music in Latin America from Nueva Cancion. I feel like they're very much like relate, you know, kind of one and the same in many ways. Um, yeah. yeah. And he, yeah, this name, this is not, this is not his given name, but he adopted it in honor of two Incan kings. But he was really involved in the Communist Party in the 1930s. So that's why I know that he's like a little bit younger, older than Violeta Parra was. Um, 
And um, yeah, so that was kind of the political connections for his work and his music. And he did a lot of um, activism around the Communist Party until I think in the 50s when he um, kind of separated from it from the communist, he like disassociated from the communist party. Um, but he was also uh, kind of persecuted under um, Perón. So another, you know, kind of, I don't know the details of the Argentinian sort of political history, but I know that that was a, been a repressive government. And so he was incarcerated a bunch of times because of his political involvement mm-hmm. in his music and relationship to communism. So, you know, it's like you can see a lot of different places in Latin America had similar kinds of things going on in terms of like revolutionary movements and then repressive governments. And I'm sure the United States is involved in most of it. Um, <laughs> right. So, so yeah. And he left, you know, to Europe in the fifties um, when Peron was in power, um, but then continued to have like a long life. And I think he actually died in 2012, um, but had a long career of playing music and is seen as kind of this real, um, yeah, legend in terms of Argentinian folk music. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'd heard this song before. Um, I'd heard the Mercedes Sosa version. Mm-hmm. Mercedes Sosa right. was another like another big um, big figure. figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Argentina Nueva Canción. Mm-hmm. Yep. For yep. some reason, I I don't know why I thought Mercedes Sosa was Venezuelan, but she's not. <laughs> no, she's from Argentina. Yeah, yeah. I think she like I, I imagine probably collaborated with him or was. Sweet. But yeah, we haven't. We've brought in a couple of Argentinian. F- are folks from Argentina, but not much. It's definitely not a country that we've explored at the same depth that we've explored some other places. So I'm, you know, yeah. I mean, it's similar to like just you know we have such a Caribbean bent, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. you and I are both like very culturally Caribbean, right. and yep. so yep. I think that like in a similar way as like maybe we like don't bring a lot of like music from Mexico all the time mm-hmm. or like. Right. Music Although I think we've like explored Central. Mexico way yeah, more than have, like Argentina. We have a little bit more, right? But yeah. I think it's also the people that we, the guests we've had and the people that we know, you know, yeah. there's just such a huge, um, obviously Mexican influence in the U.S. We got to bring, uh, we got to bring Jasmine over, Jasmine, to do a, an episode on Argentina. Yeah. It would be fun to talk about music with her. Yeah. Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I really liked about this music when, when I was listening for the episode is just the incredible um, mastery around like picking and like the strumming yeah, and, and like string all, instruments. all the string instruments. Yeah. And just like getting sure. incredible. I mean, it's, it, you know, it, it definitely has like a Spanish guitar feel, but again, like they're using a lot of instruments, yeah, like they're yeah. guitars, but they're using a lot of other stringed instruments that um, don't necessarily have their origins in Spain, have more indigenous roots or like an indigenous, you know, a, a hybrid, right. Of Spanish instruments right. with indigenous instruments. But, but yeah, just like the incredible, like the mastery behind that kind of the manipulation of the strings and like what people it's can do. Really it's really cool. Incredible. It's really cool. These folks are all wild talented. Yeah. It was incredible. So for your next one, we're going to go back to Chile briefly. Yeah. We're going to go back to Chile and um, we're bringing an artist that is a huge figure in this movement. His name is uh, Victor Jara. And this song is called Plegaria Un Labrador. Levántate y mira la montaña De donde viene el viento, el sol y el agua Tú 
te manejas el curso de los ríos Tú que sembraste el vuelo de tu alma Levántate y mírate las manos Para crecer estrechala tu hermano Juntos iremos unidos en la sangre so Victor Jara is a huge figure in um, in Latin American Nueva Canción, and um, if you go to the show notes, um, the video that we've included for this song has like around a two-minute introduction where he's talking about the song, but he's also talking about how he sort of got into Nueva Canción and um, the influence of Violeta Parra. So, um, you know, like he was very clear about Violeta Parra being a huge influence on him and... Um, and and his style and like his origins and coming into music and politics um so i i recommend that you you know it's not just the song usually we just post a song but that has like a little two minute intro um where in his own words he's talking about barra's influence on him and yeah yeah and this song is um you know plegaria labradores it's a song is a prayer for workers and um i think that it's again like it was um sort of playing on like a you know like the ways that um, people in uh, the people in Chile were deeply religious but also making the deity the worker right like making like the you know like the people who make the thing ha- the shit happen um, and um, and really like again like showing like a very like um, very deep socialist roots right of like yeah of, of what um, what he was involved in he was he was um, really heavily involved in like the socialist movement that um, that uh, Salvador Allende um, was leading and um, so like about him his mother um, was a mestiza uh, but had like deep really deep indigenous like Mapuche roots specifically mm-hmm. um, and she was a self-taught musician who taught um, Victor music right so um, so that's where he sort of got his um, his uh, musical training um, and um, it was so it was very um, very again like a very folkloric tradition right like his mother was self-taught his mother taught him like um, a very like sort of like self and um, and non-traditionally uh, developed music um, music training and then um, and yeah and so I think that talking the reason that um, I brought up Violeta Parra also in the context of Victor Jara is not just to say like that this woman had a huge influence on this whole genre, which is really important, I think is really important to bring up, but also to contextualize the fact that this was just like a whole community of artists, right? Like the, you know, um, Atahualpa Yupanqui, who Perez just brought, mm-hmm. and Victor Jara, and and Violeta Parra. These were all folks who were like in community with each other, right? Yeah. And um, who were all part of um, of a larger group of not just musicians, but also you know like poets, like Pablo Neruda, who you know I think is largely known for his love poems, but like who's also part of of this um, of this social movement, like a 
whole movement of of artists and cultural workers who um, were part of a political movement as right. well, right? And I think, um, and I think that like Victor's story really exemplifies the role that art can can play in social movements, and the whole Nueva Canción uh, genre and movement really exemplifies that. I think. Um, you know, as some of you know, um, Beres and I work a lot in like, and so we do social justice work and I specifically mm -hmm. do work in policy. And, and for me, like I think about like Radio Mene and I think about the work that I do in policy and they're not like two different weird things that I do, but they're actually <laughs> right. like Related. all yeah. part of one thing, right? Which is like, you can't have long sustained social change without like the culture supporting that right without like both like you can't get to a place where you can change a policy without the culture getting there and then you can't sustain a policy win without like a cultural uh you know foundation for that to be sustained so uh so I think that that's what really interests me about Nueva Canción mm -hmm. is just like thinking about the ways that you know political movements and social movements uh, for liberation are really tied up with art and culture and and I think that Nueva Canción is just such a um, a really clear example of the way that that functioned in Latin America. Yeah, it's so real, and it's like interesting to think about the moment we're in now. Yeah, for sure. And like what what parallels we could see in terms of how music is being an art and, you know, is being used to fuel kind of political change. And yeah, I don't, you know, I haven't yeah. thought that much about it, but I, I do think that there's some parallels probably given the political context that people continue to face. You know, it's like these things seem to go in cycles, right? Yeah, like, I completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree. I mean, even if you look at like, um, you know, like, Beyonce moving her music mm -hmm. to something a lot more political to folks like, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like just like all sorts of folks who are, um, now like incorporating politics into their music, right? Mm -hmm. Like from folks in Latin America that we bring to our podcast every day to like other folks in, you know, it's almost always people of color, right? Like, yeah. you know, with people yeah. like Beyonce and Kendrick Lamar, like it's like those right. folks like in the, in the U.S. context, at least who like are are like um involved in that sort of thing but um but yeah I think I, I completely agree I think that it's cycles and that we're it's an interesting thing to think about like what it means for for this current moment and right and you know I think um like just to to really bring home like the importance that like art and and culture can play in social movements right like I think um, Victor's story like really exemplifies mm -hmm. how dangerous like subversive art and mm -hmm. um, and culture can be to the status quo mm -hmm. to the point that, you know, like he so after releasing a song um, critiquing police violence, he was beat up by like a bunch of right wingers. Um, and when, um, so when Salvador Allende, who was the leader of the socialist movement that was a part of, was elected to be president of Chile in 1970, um, he was promptly like removed and killed in a U.S. backed coup on September 11th in 1973. So he was only really, um, in office for three years. Um, and I, I always think about that date on September 11th because it's right. like the first September 11th. I think they're both related to U.S. imperialism. So right. I always think about those two together. But 
in that coup, that was a coup that um, installed Pinochet, Augusto Pinochet, who was a brutal dictator that tortured and disappeared thousands of Chileans and whose yeah. effects are still being held by people to, today. You know, like there's like survivors of, of that of that regime still around. Um, yeah, it wasn't that but, long ago. Yeah, yeah it ago. wasn't that long ago. Yeah, so um, so that happened on September 11th, and by September 12th, Victor Jara had been rounded up, right? So like that's how yeah. important he like he was, right? he was, and he was like how how subversive and like a disruption to the status quo. Um, music and art can really be right that like to the point that like the next day he was rounded up and he was actually he died really brutally he was tortured and killed by Chilean, Chilean military officers when um when he was rounded up and um like a you know stadium like, they were like yeah gathered with like thousands of other people who were also murdered with thousands of other yeah political prisoners that they rounded up right away of people who they immediately identified as being like dangerous to this like new um right wing dictatorship and um and he was tortured right like his fingers were broken right and and then like he was he was shot um and like um, 40 times or something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah a lot of times like it was really fucking brutal i mean even if he had been left alive he wouldn't have ever been able to play music anymore right like they destroyed his fingers like on purpose right to like you know, I don't know, teach him a lesson, torture him about like the ways that he had value to, um, the political movement, um, that was being, um, that, that was, um, that the coup was against. And so it's, it's really, it's really heavy and really sad and also like really, really indicative of just the, his impact, right? Like he was targeted for elimination immediately, yeah, it's so, it's so brutal and so gruesome, and yeah, such a reminder of the power, right? Like, if 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 music and this work wasn't powerful, then why would he be seen as a threat? You know? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Oh. So, so it's really sad, and it was just like the beginning of like you know thousands of political prisoners yeah. and disappearances, yeah. and um, uh, of of people who were politically active resisting the the really brutal regime for the years that it was in place. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, so I think that he's, he really sort of exemplifies like the power of, of, um, of subversive art to disrupt right. the status quo right. and to like really be able to connect with people yeah. in a way that like, you know, like words and writing are really important and theories are really important and all, you know, like there's a place for everything, but like there's nothing like art to connect with like a broad group of people, mm-hmm. um, in, yeah. in making them feel accessible. something right. Because yeah. You know, like humans don't make decisions logically, right? No, like if we made yeah. decisions with logic, we would be in a really different place in the world. Um, right. But we make decisions with <laughs> our emotions, right? And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because the, you know, the political repression um, that happened in Chile happened in other places too, right? Like I mentioned Argentina and other parts of Latin America. I mean, mm-hmm, there was, mm-hmm. and the U S influence and like the repression of leftist movements across Latin America was, was kind of a, a global, a regional thing. And that also pushed a lot of, um, exiles and immigrants to the United States. And so some of this music then started happening in the United States because of that repression. But I saw just in doing some of the research that like, yeah, there are people in like California and and things like that who'd come who are immigrants and exiles from these political, politically repressive um, regimes who are then bringing the music to the United States as well. 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even definitely like political artists today, like um, Ana Tiju, right? Mm, like who right. is from Chile, her parents were political exiles, right? right? Like France, from yeah. Chile. And she like was able to return once the regime fell, right? Yeah. But like, and like, and now she's, she like, she's a descendant of of like these artists, right? right? Of, of like Nueva Canción, right? And of like that political repression. So I think that that um in a lot of ways like like in the last episode I think that we spoke about um about um an artist who was in Sweden whose parents had to leave oh, Argentina yeah. in the you bag know? ladies so I think, episode yeah, yeah with the bag ladies episode which if you haven't heard um it was a couple of episodes ago you should go and listen to that but but yeah so I think that like there's um so many repercussions of like both this musical movement and then the uh, the way that it was suppressed and like how right. it sort of like resulted in migrations and and people fleeing and um, political exile and all this stuff that is is really um, interesting to to think about for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, it's Open Veins of Latin America. Read it. Eduardo Galeano. Oh. <laughs> you can get the whole story. <laughs> I know. I really, like, I only took one Latin American politics class. Honestly, it's a good transition to uh, um, to my next pick because of Cuba and, like, how complicated it is for mm -hmm. me as, like, a Cuban-American to deal with and interact with, like, U.S. sort of narratives around Cuba. So let's, let's go ahead and listen to the song, and then I can talk a little bit more about it. So this song is by a Cuban artist called Carlos Varela. And it's called Una Palabra. Que esconden lodo, una mirada, no dicen nada, y al mismo tiempo lo dice todo, como la lluvia sobre tu cara, o el viejo mapa de algún tesoro. Como la lluvia sobre tu cara O el viejo mapa de algún tesoro Una verdad no dice nada Y al mismo tiempo no esconde todo Como una hoguera que no se apaga como una piedra que nace polvo Si un día me falta so Nueva Canción had a really different trajectory in Cuba. It was actually called Nueva Trova. And um, it didn't occur organically, really. It didn't, And it didn't occur pre-Cuban Revolution. It actually was sort of um, adopted by the Castro government after the revolution as like mm -hmm. a form of music that they wanted to promote. And obviously, you know, Castro, there's a lot of... Um, you know, there's there's ideological linkages between the Castro, the Cuban Revolution, and other um, revolutionary movements across Latin America, but it had a, a yeah. very different trajectory yeah. because it lasted and survived many, many, I mean, continues to survive to this day. Um, mm -hmm. So it was complicated. And so when I first saw that history, I was like, I don't know that I want to bring Cuban music from this 
era because, you know, my family left Cuba because of the Castro government and the decisions that the Castro government made, even though many of them, you know, will describe like people being very supportive of Castro pre, like as the revolution was happening, there's a lot of support for him as a figure. But then once he actually became president or a dictator really, and took over, um, then the choices that he made, you know, like his, his, his allegiance with communism, for example, like wasn't super clear at the beginning. And then once he actually took over and, you know, for like my mother's parents who were immigrants who fled Eastern Europe, like they'd already experienced some of communism and had no interest in it. Um, you know, so anyway, there's lots of complicated political layers. But so when I first thought, I was like, I don't want to bring something that's like, you know, from the most conservative perspective, kind of like Castro government propaganda is what like a Cuban American, you know, anti-Castro person would say, right. About Mm -hmm. this music. But then I was reading more about it and looking more into the history. And I picked this particular artist because he was born in Cuba, like post-revolution. So he's like a child of the revolution. He's born in 63 and became a musician within this um, era where basically, I mean, the, the Castro government controls everything in Cuba. I mean, it, there's like some loosening now, but like for 50 years, basically everything that happened was government controlled, sanctioned and regulated, including artists, including yeah. music, including, yeah. I mean, and so, um, you know, the Castro government picked this music essentially because they wanted to align themselves with the sort of revolutionary ideals that I think were happening elsewhere. But then you start to question a little bit about what they look like in practice under what is what was a very repressive government in terms of repressing opposition, you know, counter, counter-revolutionary, quote-unquote, political views, like education was strictly controlled, like all of these things that yeah. I think, you know, if people, even people with like very progressive, you know, even socialist ideals about sharing resources and whatnot wouldn't support, you know, the repression of a free press or these things that for me feel like, um, you know, bright lines like that I, you don't, I don't want to cross no matter who's in charge, whether they're far left or far right. Right, right, of course, yeah. So... But it's hard. It's hard to talk about. This is an issue that's really hard to talk about, especially with like people on the left, because I think Castro still gets seen in sort of this like, you know, positive light that I don't think tells the full story. And people in my family, you know, who are very, very anti, also I think don't tell the full story. Like it's a complicated one. Anyways, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. that that's totally true. I and mean, I think we've had a lot of conversations we about have, this yeah. because I also like, right, Venezuela, um, you yeah. know, have a similar sort of relationship to, you know, Venezuela's um, socialist government and less Nicolas Maduro because he's running the country into the ground. So there's a lot less sympathy for him, but also Hugo Chavez and like sort of like the ways that the left lionizes people and mm-hmm. idealizes people and puts people on pedestals um, who, you know, might have done some like you know, patently good things and also some like patently shitty, repressive, awful things. Right. Right. Um, and, and I think that it's, it's hard to have a nuanced conversation, um, about, about things, um, about, especially about these things, but, but yeah, but it's, it's like, nobody is like, we're, we're humans, right? Like nobody is like, there's no heroes, right? Like there's no heroes anywhere. And, and I think that, that it's, our duty to be, uh, to be as, um, critical. as critical and, and, and nuanced, as we, nuanced yeah. yeah, as we absolutely can about all these things. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's interesting to think about this trajectory of this music and the ways in which, you know, I think from my perspective, you know, from the research that we did, like pretty organically rose up in certain places like in Chile and then was, you know, it was like the Allende political, you know, party, whatever, um, did use it, right? It was used to sort of help fuel 
but um, but in I think a way that was much more independent than what it seems like in Cuba, where it's like the government already in control is like um, employing this sort of type of music as a way to try to inspire a certain ideology about their power, but it's coming very much from the inside, and it's not um, it doesn't have this like um, independentness that I think is important for um, it to be organic and to be actually be um, a real. Um, critical thing right like it's like if you're completely tied to um the powers that are in control and that are funding and sort of regulating what you can and can't do then it doesn't to me it loses some of its um power because then you don't actually get to uplift the realities of the right. people that you're trying to uplift and so what's interesting about this dude is that he um eventually has become known for actually critiquing the castro government with his music um so while he came up in this arena and i think i mean that's that's true of a, a whole generation of Cubans like him who are born into the revolution and maybe were very much supportive of it and then started to get, like become disillusioned with it, um, especially as the economic model fell apart when um, the Soviet Union collapsed, then Cubans were really struggling because the Soviet Union had kind of been propping up the economic model in Cuba. Um, and so I think in the eight, late 80s, like 90s is when a lot of disillusionment and discontent kind of was really um, elevated by what was going on also that was when the government kind of backed off of a few of their rec restrictions like on religion and things like that I think probably because of all the discontent anyway we could talk about Cuba for hours but um yeah. so that's why I decided <laughs> to pick him <laughs> because yeah I think yeah he illustrates like he then kind of turned it back on its head and it's like this this movement of music is really about political critique it's not about allegiance with whatever political power is in charge but actually like right. trying to represent right. um the reality of what's happening and so um i don't actually know if this where this song fits in i just thought this one was kind of like sad and sweet it had kind of like a melancholic yeah. thing to it yeah it's he, really melancholy i really yeah. liked how sparse yeah. it was right it's like it makes it really like his voice really carries the i feeling. know yeah so so yeah that was what why I picked him and um and yeah I think the I think Cuba is unique I don't know that we at least from what I read there weren't other countries that where like the actual political regime used the music in the same way right right yeah no but it's really interesting right to like think about because I think it's ultimately um I think that what a lot of these artists sought to do was to like critique the role of power right and right. like yeah. like the corrupting role of power and I think that like that is that can be true like across social movements right like you know whether we're talking about like within movements or within political regimes regardless of like whether they're left or right regimes right like they think that um that it is you know like our role as activists is to like question what power does yeah. right what power to does to back. people yeah yeah and push back whenever we see like that being abused so yeah. i think that 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 it's um it's it's a really important role right for sure yeah and i just yeah i i feel like politically i'll never support a a political system that doesn't allow for people to express that freely you know yeah yeah like no matter whether Definitely. you're on the right or the left so that's and that's where i think i i i feel like i depart sometimes from other people who i would feel a lot of political fidelity to because of that and maybe they don't yeah. want to see some of that you know or they don't even know because like right. people don't always yeah, have access sure. to it so yeah okay All who's right. who's your last artist for this episode my last artist for this episode is a Venezuelan singer of this style. His name is Ali Primera, and the name of this song is No Basta Rezar. Y <laughs> 
rezan de buena fe y rezan de corazón Pero también reza el piloto cuando monte en el avión Para ir a bombardear a los niños del Vietnam Para ir a bombardear a los niños del Vietnam No, no, no basta rezar Hacen falta muchas cosas para conseguir la paz No, no, no basta rezar Hacen falta muchas cosas para conseguir la paz Nada se puede lograr si no hay revolución Reza el rico, reza el amo y te maltratan al peón Reza el rico, reza el amo y te maltratan al peón Hacen falta muchas cosas para conseguir la paz No, no, no basta rezar Hacen falta muchas cosas para conseguir la paz So, um, this, Ali Primera is, I would identify as probably like the most uh, popular um, Venezuelan singer of this style. I would say that everybody knows, in Venezuela knows who Ali Primera is. Um, fun fact, he's um, Servando y Florentino's dad, um, mm. who did um, some of the like 90s salsa mm. slash from like salsering, mm. um, wow. con mucho swing. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, it's like a whole musical family. Um, but I wanted to bring this because uh, first of all, I, like I know Ali Primera, I like grew up with um, with his music. But um, I this song in particular resonated with me because it's called it's called No Vas a Rezar, yeah. and it's sort of about how like like for um, it talks about how to achieve peace, like it's not enough to pray, right? Like that moments of crisis and moments like the ones that we're living in right now, like demand more from us, right? And I think it's something that we talk about a lot in um, as the way that we think about um, Mi Gente when we're, we're talking about that. So like, as yeah. you know, I've talked about being involved with Mi Gente here before, um, but like as like a, like a hub for political movement for Latinx people, you know, we like talk about how this, moment demands like more of us to show up but it also demands more from us like each of us right like that we like that we do more and and I think that this is what he's talking about here like no basta rezar right yeah. like yeah like you can pray but also like you need to show up and you need to like put in the work to really um to really achieve um the world that you want to see right and right. and I think that that's um that's really really powerful and and in particular in you know like in Venezuela as a country where like a lot of people are very deeply religious or or at least like um even if you're not deeply religious like you're culturally religious and like live within like sort of like an idea that like you know you can just like pray for stuff to happen and like that's your action and and you know like really demanding a little bit more from people than that um, and so, so I think that for me, it really resonated with this moment right now and about yeah. how like this, this moment demands more right. from thoughts all of us. Right. Like thoughts yeah. and prayers are not enough. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's just, it's not enough. It, it demands like a more targeted and, um, and, um, specific action. Um, 
And so Ali Primera like definitely has um, a legacy in Venezuela. And I think his legacy has been sort of like, I don't want to say, I don't want to say tainted because I don't think that's true. But I think that because of um, this deep political polarization in Venezuela um, and like his association with the left and like, you know, like the Hugo Chavez's government, like, and, you know, like in the current government also like really like, um, looked to like the old, um, you know, like the old, uh, Nueva Cancion people in Venezuela to like, be, like right. you know, like these are people who, um, who talk about politics in the way that, that like really move our movement forward. Right. And, and mm-hmm. they did, right. Like they're like really like left, um, left folks and right. and so I think that, that he was really sort of um adopted by that and I think that um people sometimes can associate him Ali Primera with like a revolution and the current government that is not a great association for most people yeah. um so I think that like I think that the way that people I'm not sure that that people necessarily like link the two always right but I think right. I think that sometimes they can exist together for for folks and he died in a car accident in like 1985 which was like seven years before Hugo Chavez's coup um in 1992 that really catapulted him as a political figure on the left so we never saw involvement from Ali Primera really on that front because it was before his time um but um uh, but I think that sometimes the the depolarization of Venezuela can like make it difficult for people to like engage with with that music now because like people right. are feeling so bitter about yeah. about the government and yeah. like just like the like just like the deep repression and right. um and like lack of you know food and and basic uh, everyday things yeah, that right. um, that right. are involved. So I think um, it's a little. I think that people his legacy maybe like a little complicated in this moment but I think we'll be able to live um beyond this moment right and and I think that one of the cool things that 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 government did was this you know like declared his music a national like you know like part of the national heritage and like Mm. sort of a national treasure and I think that it's true right it is a really um important and really cool part of of um of Venezuelan music history and right. Right. and like uh important part of like the Nueva Canción movement. It's interesting so to think I about. Appreciated that. Yeah, like how people's legacies are used after they're gone, right? And like the ways in which their yeah, music yeah. is co-opted and appropriated, and then you don't even know like what would they feel? How would they feel about it? <laughs> like what would they think? You know, would they be yeah. would they be in support well, or not? I mean, yeah. It, in a lot of ways, that's like the like a struggle of being an artist, right? Like once yeah. the art leaves your hands, like it, like People what you intended it. with it, like right, that's true. Almost doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Like it's not that it's it, it matters some, but it's not like uh, it's not everything, right? right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so true. Yeah. So so I think that in it applies here, but I think it applies to art in general, right? Like once you another part of being like vulnerable as an artist is like once art leaves your hands like you you know like almost can be at a loss of how it's used right like yeah 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 for sure oh so much interesting history yeah there's so much that I don't no. Yeah. Like I was saying, I think I only took one, I would took one Latin American politics class in college. Cause I was so like nervous about dealing with sort of the studying Cuba in the context. And it ended up being fine. You know, it was in conversation a lot with my yeah, professor. But, yeah. Of course. But yeah. Also my history education and in, in my public education, in North Carolina was so like us centric and so North Carolina centric that I learned like literally nothing about 
I took one year of European history and everything else was American, like literally nothing about Latin America. Mm-hmm. So I have so many gaps. There's so much more that I would want to know. Yeah. And learn. Yeah. So this last song um, is actually a Puerto Rican uh, folk artist, and her name is Lourdes Perez, and this song is Yo Parí Una Luchadora. Si la vieran a mi hija, se acordarán de las rimas, quien da buen árbol se arrima y buena sombra le cobija. Como el loro es su sonrisa, Y la libertad añora, me bendijo Dios señora, su furia es como la mar, como poderle explicar, yo parí una luchadora. Hubo un silencio rotundo. Cuando declaro que amaba a otra mujer que luchaba por la justicia en el mundo. El amor es más fecundo. Love that. I know, it's a good title, right? I kept thinking, I was like, does this mean I was born a fighter or does this mean I birthed a fighter? I kind of feel like it could mean a fighter. Yeah, I birthed a fighter. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. This is from 1997. Um, and... So I don't know. I did not find much in terms of the research about like Nueva Canción and in terms of the political kind of movements in Puerto Rico. And obviously Puerto Rico has like its own, every country has its own unique um, history in terms of what was going on politically. But um, she's definitely a folk artist who was inspired by this genre and this this sort of era of music. Um, although she's like a little bit more contemporary than a lot of the folks that we're talking mm-hmm. about. Um, and I was excited to find her because she's also an out lesbian. Um, and yeah, and like very proudly claims that when she was like out touring um, and and singing in the 90s, she was like one of the only out Latina lesbians um, doing that, especially singing in Spanish in the 90s. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, very I mean, cool. you know, there are not that many folks, you know, like we were just talking about on the Bad Bunny episode about, like, Ricky Martin. You know, like, he, like, really blazed some trails, right? So she was, like, out here before being open um, about her, about herself. So, yeah, she seems pretty badass. Also, her sister's name is Miriam Perez, which is my full Ooh. name. <laughs> hey. Which, like, is funny because it's actually pretty common in Latin America, but in the U.S. it's, like, an uncommon combination, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, so... Um, but yeah, this is, I just really liked her, um, her sound. I was excited that she's queer and, um, I think she's still doing the thing. Um, it sounds like she's still touring and still making music, but this is from the late nineties. So, you know, her music is very political and yeah, very much in the tradition of these folk artists and also very influenced by, um, her roots and, um, and, you know, from the countryside and some of those same dynamics around, um, you know, she identifies as a hibaro. Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. Hibara. Yeah. Hibara. Um, and that's part of how she talks about her work, too. So, mm-hmm. again, those kind of dynamics <clears throat> that we talked about in the other countries that we addressed. Had you heard of her, Beto? I hadn't heard of her. No. Yeah. This is my first time listening yeah. to this woman. Yeah. I like I liked a lot of her songs. I was listening through a bunch of different things, but I picked this one because of it's, like, very sort of, like, 
you know, revolutionary kind of fight themes to it. Awesome. Well, thank you all so, so much for listening. This episode um, was really cool to research. I hope that you all liked it, even though it could get heavy at times. Yeah, it's real. But this this is a legacy, right? Yeah. These are the people who've who've come before and who've paved the way for a lot of what we do and listen to now, even in ways we don't necessarily see. So beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, as always, you can find all the links on the show notes at RileyManea.com. We'll have the videos for all of these songs and um, things, other things we mentioned. Maybe we'll put some of the articles that we read that kind of influenced mm-hmm. the research that we did about Nueva Cancion. And um, yeah, make sure to check those out. Yeah, if you haven't followed us already um, on Apple Podcasts or wherever, please subscribe. And um, we're on social media everywhere at Radio Menea. So look for us, follow us, and thank you so, so much for listening. Hasta la próxima. Bye. Y el canto de ustedes que es el mismo canto Y el canto de todos que es mi propio canto Gracias a la vida que me ha dado tanto